Thank you for listening to the Maranatha Fellowship Podcast. We hope this message will inspire, challenge, and encourage you to grow closer to Christ. If you're in the Anchorage area, we invite you to be our guest during our morning Sunday worship service at 11 a.m. For directions, or if you would like more information about us, please visit akmaranatha.com. Philippians. All right. Philippians, and go to chapter 1 with me. We're going to read through all of Philippians tonight. So I don't know if you did your Bible reading today, but we're going to get a little more. And I want to just take a bird's eye view of uh, this book and uh, look at it from a particular angle. All right, so I've not met many uh, people who in their Christian walk don't struggle in the way that they think. And what unsettles us is generally worry and fear and selfishness and inconsideration and uh, insecurity and godlessness and lust and paranoia and doubt and resentment and pride. That's just to name a couple. Um, While all those things are uh, storming around up there, um, all those things are storming around up there, a common answer that people have to this is often, we just need to stop thinking about things. We need to stop thinking uh, so much. And uh, that's... uh, that's been an approach that some have taken as if following Christ is a heart thing only. And um, in my studies this last year, I came across this, that in the Hebrew way of thinking, um, that you think with your heart. And what that doesn't mean is that it brings our head down. It's, it's that uh, it brings our heart up. And so we're called to be, we're called to be thinkers and uh, not to stop thinking altogether. And, you, you know, you can get into trouble th- uh, thinking, right? And so we often are afraid of that danger. But that's only one ditch. There's another ditch. What do you think that is? Not thinking. You get in trouble not thinking. So you can get in trouble thinking, overthinking things and thinking too much when uh, there's a time at which we thought all the thoughts that we need to think, right? We just need to trust God in that. And then there's a time when we uh, maybe we need to uh, think a little bit more. And so you can get into trouble thinking. It's true. And it's also true that you can't reason everything out. We don't know all that there is to know. But we know certain things, and we're called to think about those things. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God. Does anybody know that verse? The secret things belong to the Lord our God. Anybody want to guess what the next line is? What is it? Okay, the reveal is in there. It said the revealed things belong to us and our children. Think about that. That God has revealed things to us. He's shown us things. There are things that he's kept hidden for whatever reason, and with those things we have to trust him. That we're not going to know all the answers, and anybody who thinks they can know all the answers only has to begin to <laughs> look at the Internet and look at how much there's more information out there than we'll ever know in our lives, lifetime. Sometimes I get discouraged as I look at the books on my shelf and I realize time's running out, buddy, and there's no way I'm going to be able to get all that into here. And even if I do, you know, the percentage of a book that we remember is so small. And so I think about that, and it's uh, a little discouraging. It's like that verse in Psalms that says, (laughs) 
what is man that you're mindful of him? Oh, we're so, we're so in terms of our knowledge, we're so beneath God in his ability to know. Uh, and so I've said that side of it, but tonight I want to talk about that we, we do have a responsibility in loving God. We're to love him with our faculties, okay? Love the Lord your God with all of what? Your heart, soul, your mind, okay? What? And strength. And we would probably include there just because we want to be comprehensive in our bodies. We need to love him with our bodies. But part of our loving God requires us to love him with our mind. We're looking at Philippians, and that might seem a strange place to talk about thinking, but it's there, and we're going to look at this. But uh, this uh, letter is written from prison. It's part of a grouping of letters in the New Testament that are known by a name. Anybody know what that is? Pauline, that's true. So we got we got our bigger category. It goes even smaller than that because the Pauline letters can be subdivided. The, the prison epistles, the prison letters, okay? So he's written uh, prison letters. Is it because Paul wrote them to prison that they're called the prison letters? They're from prison. And what's he in prison for? <laughs> for preaching the gospel. What's that? Telling people about Jesus. That's, uh, that's about it, isn't it? Um, so he's in, in prison uh, for doing that. And when you're in prison... You have a lot of time to think, don't you? I, I mean, you know, all of us from experience, right? But you would imagine that a person uh, there has a lot of time to think. And Paul has heard about some disputes that have arisen in the church between two ladies. Anybody else have problems pronouncing these two ladies? It says in the KJV, I beseech the Odia. I beseech the Syntyche. Be of the same mind. Okay, so... There's these two ladies that are arguing with each other in the church. And uh, he doesn't, somebody pointed this out, and I just think I'll throw it out there. Uh, Paul doesn't say, uh, you two ladies need to get under submission to a man. He doesn't say that. He says, I, I beseech you, true yoke fellows, you, you are partners with me in the gospel, and you guys need to agree. He just He just appeals to them as, Fellow Christians, co-workers, he doesn't even condescend them. He's not demeaning to them. He just says, I need you guys to agree. And, and the word that he uses for agree there is be of the same mind. Okay, That involves thinking. Okay, So Odia and Syntyche, that's reached him. And uh, because they're leaders within the church, uh, sometimes uh, th- those kind of leadership factions can create a division within the whole body. So he's... He's appealing to a church that he's generally favorable towards. This isn't Galatians where he's real short with them. This is Philippians where it's probably one of the gentler, gent, gentler letters that Paul writes. But he's, he's compelling them. He's urging them to agree. And he's also received uh, some news about some who've come with proud thinking. Maybe this goes to the Odeon Syntyche thing. I, I don't know, but it seems to be right in that context that there's a challenge to proud thinking. And so he wants to challenge them, and he wants to encourage them, and he wants to correct them where necessary. And so he, he uh, writes the Philippian letter. So let's take a moment here, a few moments actually, and if somebody wants to time us, this would be a good exercise in how long it takes to read through one of the letters. All right? Uh, you want me to read it? Do you guys want to read, participate? 
Okay, who wants chapter one then? Okay, Dean's going to read chapter one. Make sure we read it loud and clear. He'll take chapter two. There's four of them. Okay, Susanna chapter two, uh, uh, Susie chapter three, and then he'd like to close out with chapter four. All right, Josh, chapter four. All right, let's begin. And as soon as one person's done, let's go right into the next. Hey, if we uh, stopped right there, we're already blessed because we read the scriptures. All right. I I think it's uh, interesting here at the end. This is uh, just kind of a small point here. But Paul, if he's in Rome in prison and he says, though he's talking about those who are belonging to Caesar's household, that means he's won some of the Praetorian Guard to Christ. And I think that's fabulous, don't you? That they think that they've got him in chains, but he's got them chained to him. So who's the victim and who's the victor? Uh, I think that's the way Paul sees it. And this is part of his, his attitude, his part of his outlook, is that it's transformed by belonging to Christ. He doesn't see himself so much as a prisoner, and he emphasizes that because he says uh, these chains aren't holding back the gospel. Even despite these chains, the gospel is preached. Now, what we're being told here is that Christian thinking matters. It matters for attitude. It matters for motivation and action. I think all those things tend to congeal together into the type of people we are. And I wanted to point out um, what attitude means. It's a mental position with regard to a fact or state. So when when you think about where Paul is uh, in terms of being in prison, what's his mental position on that? Do you think it's positive or negative? It's it's positive, like somehow God's going to work through all of this for his glory. And so that's that's the mental position. We can naturally fall into a victim-type position, can't we? Where it's woe is me and look how bad things are. And then one little thing is like the straw that breaks the camel's back. And uh, we're in, we're just piled under a pile of negativity. And, and I would encourage us that the Christian outlook ought to be one of uh, realistic optimism, that we're realistic about problems, but we're optimistic because we know that victory is ours. When Paul lists the things that could go against a Christian at the end of Romans chapter 8, he talks about a whole list of things, and he talks about one side and then the other, and then he says, in all these things, we're more than conquerors through Christ who loved us. So he takes that perspective that he's a, he's a victor in Christ, and he encourages us to have that same perspective. So thinking involves attitudes. I want to talk about a few terms here before we look at our outline. And so uh, let's just write these down here. And the first one would be know or knowledge. Okay. Sorry, know or knowledge. Okay. And uh, this is uh, from a Greek word, gnosko. It sounds a little bit like to know, right? And this is the content of what is definitely known. And let me refer us to a few verses regarding this. Uh, If you have your Bible still open, Philippians 1, verse 9 and following. Okay, listen to this. This is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. So Paul is saying that I want your knowledge to abound, but I want it to abound as you uh, learn to think and learn to discern or understand what's true and important. 
so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless in the day of Christ. Verse 11, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So he's saying, even as he's in prison, you know, you might expect somebody in those conditions to say, can you guys pray for me? And certainly he wanted their prayers. But here he is praying for them and saying, I'm praying that God will cause you to grow in your knowledge and depth of insight. And then if, if that happens, then you're going to love the way that you should. You're going to live the way that you should to please God uh, and bring glory to his name. Okay, so that's the first place this is found as he talks about this knowledge or depth of insight. As he wants believers to grow, uh, he's talking about having certain content that is definitely known. Christianity is, uh, to follow Christ, maybe a better way to say that, requires knowledge. Not secret knowledge, not hidden knowledge. It's knowledge that's out there. It's knowledge that ought to be out there. It's knowledge that we already have. Like the knowledge that somebody needs to come to know Jesus and see their life transformed, we already know it. Not true or not? You ever thought about how profound that is? The most beautiful words that any language could ever speak are words that bring people into communion with God, right? It's better than any song that's sung. It's better than any poetry that's ever written. It's words that can transform somebody's destiny and somebody's relationship to God. And we have that. We have that knowledge. Sometimes communicating it is hard, but we know it. We know it. We ought to learn to communicate that. The next uh, one related to knowledge here is... Uh, chapter 3, verses 8 through 11, and you'll you'll see the word know several times. We read through this. Um, Paul is talking about everything that he was prior to knowing Christ, and then he says, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Now, this isn't just here. It's not just uh, the content of knowledge like facts about. This is talking about an experiential relationship knowledge that we have with Christ. Okay? And so there's knowledge that needs to be had, and this requires for us to be thinking people. And I, I imagine that if uh, you're married, you probably sometimes think about what will please your spouse. Okay? Or if you're a friend, you think about what boundaries you don't want to cross in order to off- offend your friend. And at, at work, you know that you're thinking about things that involve uh, kinds of relationships, and some relationships can be really complicated, especially when you're not sure where you stand with another person. But when God has graciously granted us his favor, we ought to understand that he's welcomed us in the door, even though we've been offenders against him. And so he's He's on our side, and he's welcomed us into a relational kind of knowledge with him. He goes on to say a couple more times, I want to know, I want to know him. Uh, verse 10, of chapter 3. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in the fellowship of his suffering. So he calls us to a certain kind of knowledge. Here's the next word that relates to this, and that's insight. We've already mentioned the verse. Insight. And the verse is um, chapter 1, verse 9 and 10, knowledge and depth of insight. And this, this word just simply means to have the capacity to perceive clearly. So if we're to understand this, we would understand the difference between knowing facts about and understanding the importance of certain knowledge, okay, to, to really perceive what that means. There are people that 
They know the facts about the gospel, but they're not living in relationship with Christ. They haven't perceived, they haven't understood the significance of what that means. And so, and depth of insight is something that grows. The, the cool thing about the gospel, and that cool sounds so trite, um, the wonderful thing about the gospel is this, is it grows with us. You know, a three-year-old can grasp, Jesus loves me, and because he died for my sins, I can have, I can be a friend of God, and I can know that God loves me. Okay. A three-year-old can do that. But I imagine that if a person lives to be 99, there's still depth to that that we're plumbing. You know? It grows with us. And that's what good, sound, deep things do. And the knowledge of God is like that, that uh, if we're truly pursuing Him and we're really seeking Him out and we're thinking and ponderous Christians, which the Bible encourages us to be, that we meditate on Him, that there ought to be depths to that. And I... I can't take time to stay here much longer, but it goes beyond just knowledge about its, uh, its uh, understanding that we're called to. Depths of insight is the word that Paul uses there. And then the word think, okay? He's going to mention this word uh, a few times, and I don't know if you're interested, but here's the Greek word, phroneo. And this is to employ one's faculties, mental faculties, for thoughtful planning with an emphasis on underlying disposition or attitude. In other words, we think about things, but we think about things in such a way as to employ the right kind of attitude, okay, to have an attitude. And so the one that relates to this is uh, Philippians 3.15, think about all of us then who are mature, he says, should take such a view of things, should think about things this way. And at some point, you think differently. If you have a different attitude about this, if you have a different understanding of these things, and uh, Paul has come right off of that section where he's talking about um, his achievements, his trophies, if you will, his uh, reasons for having confidence in the flesh and how he's kind of flushed all those away. That's a really apt verb, by the way, to flush, <laughs> to flush away. Uh, he's flushing all those things away, and he's clinging to Christ. He's searching Christ out. And so now he's saying to people, okay, if you think of differently on this issue, that, you know, this is by faith, and if you're trying to let your works come in and, and be your boast with God, then he says, I'm confident that God will show you uh, the difference, and that you'll you'll see things. God will make it clear to you what we're talking about. So the word think comes up there. If you think differently, then God will make that clear to you. And then uh, chapter 4, verse 8, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, uh, admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Ponder these things. Okay, so he's calling us to to be thinkers in terms of um, focusing on certain kinds of goodness. And then uh, learned, okay, learned. Or learned, okay, learn or learned. All right, and uh, this means, are you ready for this profound definition? Learned here, the word for learned in Greek means to learn from experience, often with the implication of reflection 
and then the second one, there's another learn in there. It means to learn the secret of something through personal experience, and we'll, we'll get to that more in just a moment. But I think this is kind of interesting, and it has some application for us, because uh, I've met people, they don't want to learn from other people. They want to learn directly from God, okay? And so there's, they've kind of set themselves up in this spiritual trap to where they can't ever learn anything from anybody else. It's got to be direct from God. And I'm telling you, this has not just happened a handful of times in my time of pastoring. It's been more than that. We don't want to learn from other people. We want to learn directly from, yeah, we all do. But the chosen method that God gives us, he's placed us in families so moms and dads could teach us. He's educated us through schooling systems. We don't just learn to read directly from God. We have to go through a process of natural learning. And it's that way spiritually. Okay? He's put in place in uh, Ephesians chapter 4 teachers so that we could learn. Okay? Does God sometimes give us insights and special knowledge? Yeah, he can do that. I'm not against that. I'm just saying those are the exceptions and not the rule. The typical way that we learn is we learn by reflection, and we learn through natural processes and through experience. And sometimes we can learn through the experience of other people, thank God. We don't have to make the same mistakes that people made, the bonehead decisions people made in the Bible sometimes, uh, or other bad examples. We can learn from that. Okay, and then there's another word for learn, and this comes in... uh, uh, chapter 4, and I'll read that. This is, let's just read this whole section because it's all in one section here, these uh, words learn. Chapter 4, verse 9 through 13, then we're going to take a look at our outline uh, after we use one more word here. Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Check that out. If you've observed and you've learned, Put it in practice, and God, the God of peace will be with you. This is another way of saying, when God is with you, it's in a way to bless your efforts and to cause them to succeed because you're going his way. Okay, So when he's saying God is with you in this, you take what you've learned and you put it in practice, God will bless that. So it's not either God d- reveals it directly to me or I learn it in this lowly method that normal mortals learn. Uh, It's not either or, it's both, because you'll see the next one is, as we go on, um, I rejoice greatly that your concern for me has been revived. Uh, Verse 11, I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned, and he used a different Greek word here, to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it means to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through Christ who gives me, gives me strength. So the second learned here, and the third one, especially the third one, is the kind of learning of a secret in which we've been initiated through some kind of personal experience. We've been thrust into something, and maybe God turns the light on and says, this is the way to deal with this circumstance. And so he's saying here, that you know, Paul knows what it means to have plenty, and he knows what it is to be in want. Let's just lay that out a little bit, because uh, maybe we haven't thought about this. But Paul knows what it's like to be with the church, celebrating with the church, and have everything, all of his needs provided. He also knows what it means to be in prison, where he's got to wait on somebody to come and bring the things that he needs to him. And some nights he doesn't have enough food. 
because their prison system isn't like our prison system that's paid for by the Her Majesty, you know, or the government, right? The way that they got food was people visiting them in prison. That's why Jesus says, visit people in prison. Because if you don't, and they're a Christian, they're going to starve. And they're going to freeze because they won't have enough clothing. So that's why Paul's always writing to people, hey, can you bring my coats? It's starting to get chilly. Autumn's here. Bring my coats and also bring my books because he's going to get things to the people that come see him. So he knows what it means to have plenty. Like when he's celebrating at a, a church dinner, there's plenty of food. He also knows what it means to be in prison and he not have enough food for the daily needs. And he says, I've learned God has turned the light on on how to deal with this. I'm content in every circumstance. He's shown me the secret to this is contentment. The secret to have all of what you need. There's two ways you can deal with need is you can say, well, we just need to raise how much we get. The other way is to bring down to a level of contentment that this is all that we need, right? To live within the margin that God's given us. Some people, they make more money than any of us in here, and they're not content. It's not enough. And some people that make far less than us are content, and they're happy, So what's happened there is their contentment allowed them to live with joy in their circumstance. And Paul says, I learned a secret. God showed me a secret. He he revealed to me the secret to this is to be content. And guess what? He passed on the secret to you so we can learn it. We don't have to learn it directly from God. He's told us right now. God revealed it to Paul, and Paul said, this is what God showed me. And this is a freebie for you guys. That Contentment is the way to have joy. All right. Let's talk about one more word, and we'll look at our outline with the time that we have left. Uh, This is mind. Okay, this is a big word in Philippians. Philippians is a four-chapter, little small letter, and what we did tonight is what they did with that letter when it was first received in Philippi, is they read it straight out from first to, they didn't say, well, let's stop at verse 15. There was no verse 15. It was one big letter. So they read it all at once. But uh, these things might have stood out, and one of them is mind. Um, There's several words for this, and the word um, of these of these five of these. There's six times this occurs. Five of these words are the same as the word think. It just uses the word mind there. Have this mind instead of think. So it's another way of describing that same word. But it tells us what to do with our minds. It's the equivalent of telling us to think this particular way. And so that same word, phreneo, is is often used for mind. And it means to employ our faculties for thoughtfulness, planning, with the emphasis on our disposition and our attitude. The other word uh, is a little bit different. It's closely related, but it's a little different. And it means to keep on giving serious consideration to something. And this one's actually used in a negative verse. I'll mention the others, and then we'll we'll deal with that one. Okay, and this one means to give uh, serious consideration to something, to ponder, to let one's mind dwell on, to obsess, we might say, to keep thinking about, to fix our attention on. Okay, Philippians 2.2 uses the first definition, which is positive. Make my joy complete by being like-minded. Think with this attitude having the same mind and being one in spirit, one in mind. Philippians 2.5, in your relationship with one another, have the same mind. Have the same thinking along with the attitude 
as Christ Jesus, who, even though he was exalted to the highest place, he didn't consider his equality with God something to be clung to, but he emptied himself, he made himself nothing. Uh, Then the third uh, occasion of the word mind is found in chapter 3, verse 19, and here it's used in a negative way. And it says of these enemies of the cross, their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. The stomach is a metaphor for an appetite. Okay, Their God is their appetites. And their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. It means that in their thinking, they're focused on the temporal, the here and now, and they're not thinking of eternal things. And that's, re- that's really a tragic thing. And so it uses this uh, word mind to talk about those things that are their fascination, those things that are their obsession. They're not driven by eternal priorities. They're driven by temporal things. How do I look to the people around me? How do I compare in my finances to other people? Uh, have I met the, even the American dream? Am I living the, the dream? And that's the kind of thinking that he's talking about. The other ones um, go back to the other meaning. Philippians 4.2, I plead with Odia, I plead with Syntyche, be of the same mind, be of the same mind, of the same thinking, along with the same attitude. Uh, chapter 4, verse 7, the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Your faculty of thinking will be guarded by the peace of God. All right, let's take a look at our outline here now that we've kind of covered some of the the definitions that are there for thinking. All right. First, uh, in chapter 1, and this is from Warren Wiersbe's expository outlines. I tried, and nobody says it better than Warren Wiersbe on this. I think he's got it perfect. Chapter 1 is going to be the single mind. Okay, I'm just going to write single here. an S. Single mind. Okay, single here means singularly focused. Singularly focused. When something is the center of focus, what does that mean to focus on something? What's it mean when we say that's the, at the focus of something? Okay, everything else is turned away. Anybody else have anything? The main idea, okay. What's that? Undivided attention, okay. So it, it doesn't it doesn't mean that nothing else is in the picture, does it? So I want to just think for a moment of what it means for God to be the focus of our lives. Are there other things in the picture? I mean, we've got other things besides God, right? Our family, our jobs, our friends, the world in which we live, how we go about life. Those things are still in the picture somehow, but they're not the, f- the main focus. And so it doesn't mean that nothing else is in the picture. When something is the singular focus, it means that that thing in focus is the clearest. It's what gets the attention. It's what's most important. And so when you're thinking of, like if you've ever taken a picture and You've got somebody in the forefront of the shot, and they're in clear focus, and then there's other things in the back that are kind of fuzzy. Uh, we found a picture the other day, and it's one of the pictures of the old sanctuary when we used to have the flags hanging up. I don't know if you remember that. And I was looking at that picture, and there are a few people in there that we would all know. 
And then somewhere in the back, out of focus, it looks like Juniette is sitting back there. And this is way before we met Juniette, so it couldn't have been her, but it was just funny because I said to Juniette, that looks like Juniette back there. It would have been right back here in the middle. And I don't know who it was, but that was kind of funny that it occurred to me that it looked like that. But um, the thing that's in the front of the picture is the, the center of the focus, and it's the clearest, and um, it's what gets the attention. And in terms of our walk, it's what's most important. From Paul's singular mind to the Philippians to ours, the Bible here is stressing a singleness of mind about the things of God and how we should think about God uh, as the single most important thing, how that should work itself out and striving together for the gospel. And uh, this suggests laying aside uh, distractions and petty differences for the things that matter most. Uh, I couldn't give you a list on this because when it comes down to it, we're going to have to have wisdom for that. Like, what are things that legitimately should divide us? You know, we we need to think about that. I, I think what makes a person a Christian or not a Christian, I think at the top of that list is does the person believe in Jesus, right? Do they believe in Jesus if they don't? And then you can start to go down that list, and then you can find some things that are non-essentials. They're important, but they're not necessary to get into heaven. Are you with me? Uh, and there are things, and then some people are disagree in disagreement about that. What is it like? I remember when I went to a, I went to an Assembly of God Bible College, and and, and there they taught, uh, when you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, you speak with tongues. Fine, I have no problem with that. That's good. And I worked at Thrifty Car Rental when I was in college, and I worked with a guy that went. We had our competing Bible college on the other side of town, Baptist Bible College, and they do not believe in the gifts of the Holy or they didn't at the time. And so we, we got in a discussion one day, and he said, one of the guys said to me that went to the other Bible college, he said, you guys believe that it's necessary to speak in tongues to go to heaven, don't you? I said, no, where did you hear that? He said, you don't? I thought all Pentecostals believe that. I said, we don't believe that. I don't believe that. Some people believe that. You have to not only uh, become a Christian, this is back in the late 90s when that happened, not only do you have to be a Christian, but you've also got to speak in tongues. I mean, we're, we're adding, we're starting to add requirements to salvation. And I think that's very, very dangerous. So there are differences of opinion on all of that. The singleness of mind that Paul is referring to here, it requires wisdom to know what's most important. But he talks about some things. Um, the fellowship of the gospel in verses 1 through 11 of chapter 1. And in doing so, he's inviting us to discern what's best, that we would grow in, do- in knowledge and depth of insight in order to discern what's best. And then also here in chapter 1, uh, he talks about the furtherance of the gospel and, and uh, devoting our, uh, ourselves and all that we are to one cause. Remember, Paul, I think it's there, he says, um, and we just read it, that... Um, you know, even if people are adding affliction to my bonds, he said, what do I care? Christ is preached, and I rejoice in that. And so he's willing to suffer if it means that the one cause is, push, is pushed forward, and that's the cause of Christ. And so that is a singleness of mind who says, I'm willing to suffer if it means more people know Jesus. Okay, And then a third uh, area within that chapter 1 is the faith in the gospel. 
endeavoring as one in the faith. And he encourages them to live in a manner worthy of the gospel, endeavoring as one in the faith, and uh, living in a way that would please God, even if you have to suffer for Christ. And so it's clear that the Christian mind, uh, Philippians is encouraging, is a singular mind. Chapter 1, I think, is about the singleness of mind that we need to have in following Christ. Chapter 2 is the spiritual mind. Uh, Sorry, excuse me, the submissive mind. Now you know what's in chapter 3. Submissive. Okay. Uh, Submission here means subordinate mission. Subordinate mission. It means to bring our mission under that of another. And to others, uh, and even to others for their service to God, for His service and His glory. And this is done out of love. It puts selfish striving uh, to, to be first. It puts it to bed. If you'll look with me at chapter 2 there, we'll just uh, gl- uh, just gloss over this here. But chapter 2, verses uh, 1 through 11, who is that talking about? What's the typical Sunday school answer to that? Jesus, right? Jesus, especially as it focuses from verse 5 on through 11 in what's known as the Christ hymn. And it's holding up Jesus as an example of a submissive mind. And this is pretty striking because what this is saying is coming from the highest authority, he bent down and he went low to the ground in order to serve us. And he he subjected himself not only to be human, which is a great condescension. Like for Jesus, who is King of kings and Lord of lords, the eternal creator, who's there with the Father, at creation and the spirit, for him to come down and take on the flesh of humanity is already a massive humility. Okay, I don't know if you know that, but that's the case. But then he goes even further to the place of a servant. Okay, uh, And if you would like a picture of that, imagine him washing his disciples' feet. Okay, And then the Bible says he takes a step down even further to the cross which is the ultimate humiliation. It was dehumanizing to die on a cross. Jesus went that further step down. And so what did he do it for? He did it to serve. He, he submitted himself to the Father. He even submitted himself to humanity. Jesus obeyed his mom. Do you remember she said, we're out of wine? And he said, uh, the hour has not come or my time's not come. And you're asking me to do this and he does the miracle anyway. Um, and, and in other instances. He stood before the fake king of Israel, Herod, right? And he's the legitimate king of Israel, and he still showed respect. I think uh, there's an example of humility. Paul goes on in verses 12 through 18 to talk about himself. He just barely brushes by it. So he's being humble here, and his humility is seen in the fact that he doesn't even talk that much about himself. All he says in uh, verse 17 even if I'm poured out as the drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I'm glad and rejoice with all of you. So remember in chapter 1, he's ready to die for the sake of the gospel. And now he uses this picture that's kind of foreign to us. The drink offering is the smallest part of the offering. Okay, And so Paul says, even if I'm poured out like a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your offering, he's willing to say, you're being... You're you're being part of the great sacrifice here. 
You're sacrificing yourselves. And even if I'm just the, just the little sacrifice on top and it costs me my life, I'm willing to do that. Now, Paul's not saying, check out how humble I am. He's just simply stating what he's willing to do, and his humility exudes from that. And so he's submissive in his mindset. And then he talks about Timothy. Look at verse 21 and 22 here. And we're almost out of time, so I'm going to have to cruise. Uh, Verse 21 says, Everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a father with a son, he has served me in the work of the gospel. And he says, I have no one else, verse 20, I have no one else like him who shows genuine concern for your welfare. And then he mentions Epaphroditus who risked his life to fulfill the call of the Philippians. These people are are those who bring their life and their mission under the mission of Christ in the service of others. And it starts with a mindset, as he shows us in chapter 2, verse 1 through 5. And so it's clear the message of the Philippians uh, mind is encouraging us to be submissive. And then the spiritual mind, chapter 3. Let's go as quick as we can here. Spiritual mind. And spiritual in the Bible means of the Spirit. It doesn't mean nebulous and spooky. It means of the Spirit. When you talk about spiritual, in the New Testament definition, it means of the Spirit. Okay? So uh, whatever the world has made of that word, they've borrowed it from us, and then they've abused it. So, And don't let them do that. Okay? So just a, another thought. But the spiritual mind... Uh, realizes that nothing we have in terms of flesh can really offer anything to God as if to add to him. Okay, Remember Paul even says as if he could be served by human hands. What needs to happen first is trust in him and full submission of our will to him. And so Paul talks about his past in terms of his salvation, and he counts it all lost Okay, compared to knowing Christ. Um, he serves God by the Spirit, not simply with the flesh. And we have a past flesh, but it's gotten us nowhere with God. It's seen um, Christ as the means of salvation by abandoning all claims that we have based on our own pedigree, our associations, you know. He said, I'm a Pharisee of Pharisees. That'd be like saying, my denomination's right. Um, in terms of passion, zeal, works, perfection, none can get us there because we've already spoiled it somewhere else. And so he's relying upon what Christ has done, and this is the spiritual way, not to be circumcised in the flesh, but to be circumcised by the Spirit in the heart. And then Christ's uh, presence is talking about his sanctification, he's striving to gain, and then the future glorification, he's looking to see the Savior. And so it's clear uh, that the Christian mind, Philippians is encouraging as a spiritual mind, thinking which considers Christ as the prize. Paul is saying in his thinking, I want to know Christ. Whatever else is out there, I want to know Christ. Finally, actually there's, yeah, finally here, the secure mind. Hey, we might do this. We won't be right on time, but we'll be close. Secure here means well-being in God despite surrounding circumstances. Okay, Paul is secure. Is he encouraging a secure mindset? Because he says in verses 1 through 5, uh, be, let your moderation, let your gentleness be made known to all. He urges Odie and Sentiki to get along. Let your moderation be made known to all because the Lord is at hand. Okay, And at hand here is a measurement. It can either be a measurement of distance or a measurement in time. 
Okay, so Paul could mean here, the Lord is near to you even now. Okay, or he could mean the Lord is near to coming even now. You see the difference? That like Jesus isn't going to be that far off, so keep your eyes on him. Or Jesus is close to you even now, so you can handle whatever pressure is on you. And maybe there's a ambiguity here because there's a double meaning on this. We don't know. Then he mentions God's peace. This is a means of security. The Lord's peace can guard our minds. And then God's power can provide for our needs. Chapter 4, verse uh, 10 through 13, there's security in uh, that, that we'll never lack what we need because God will supply all of our needs according to his riches. And uh, that's God's provision, actually. God's power gives us strength that can help us in all of our circumstances. Uh, This isn't like the boxers who have Philippians 4.13 on their robe and they're going to go punch somebody's face in because God's given me strength. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Like, I'm going to beat you up, knock you out. That, not that kind of thing. Let's not abuse this. This means having the power to go through anything that life throws at us. That's what that means. Not uh, God's going to give me the power to fulfill my wildest dreams. Uh, that's not what this is talking about. And so it's clear the Christian minds that Philippians is encouraging is a secure mind, one that has greater sense of security because it centers its hope in Christ. Okay, And so that's chapter 4. Let me mention these things quickly as we conclude. Here's what we can come away with. Thinking is significant to living the Christian life. Thinking uh, has additional information which changes everything for us. So you might say, well, thinking is a secular activity. Yes, but they don't have revelation. And what we have is natural knowledge plus revelation, and that's significant. I heard a story about someone who baked some rolls and forgot to add yeast. I'm not going to tell you who that is, and there's nobody in this room if you're wondering. Uh, They didn't expand to the fluffy deliciousness which rolls are supposed to have. Uh, They remain small and hard, and in fact, they weren't rolls at all. And Christian thinking is inspired thinking that adds that additional ingredient that changes everything. It changes our thoughts and our attitudes. Second, Christian thinking involves revealed knowledge, but also learned knowledge that comes through the normal processes of thinking and evaluating. So we don't get by on just simply pleading, God, would you drop it in my mind? We need to ask God to reveal things to us, but we also need to persevere and study, and he will reveal to us things through that method as well. Christian thinking involves growing and changing our mind to new, as new knowledge becomes available to us, chapter 3, verse 15. Christian uh, thinking involves other people. We learn from others. Our way of thinking should be shaped by models, as we saw in chapter um, 3 and following, chapter 2 and following, actually. We should strive to agree in the Lord with other people. That means put aside differences and agree about what matters most. Christian thinking is a matter of choice, like a diet. When he says you should think on these things, he's saying there's a possibility of thinking on other things, but you get to choose about what you're going to think about. And so we're not in bondage to have to think about other things. We can substitute those bad thinking for good thinking and actually be improved by it. And then... Uh, Christian thinking as a haven against unnecessary mental storms, uh, but it's conditioned on choice. When it says the peace of God will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus, it's because we thought about the good things, and we're letting that be our focus and not the other things. And then finally, 
Christian thinking is not about knowing facts only, but understanding truth and knowing God. That's uh, the call to think in Philippians. Hey, we kind of tackled Philippians in one uh, episode here today. Aren't you glad for that? Only went five minutes beyond. Can you forgive me for that? Let's uh, let's stand and let's give thanks to the Lord. If anything's unclear in all of this, the Lord will show you. <laughs> Amen. Father, thank you for your word to us, and thank you for what's revealed to us in the book of the letter to the Philippians. And we pray that Lord, you would stir our hearts to grow more and more, help the things that matter to you to sink in, become part of who we are. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us today. If this ministry has impacted you, we would love to hear about it. You're welcome to message us at akmaranatha.com forward slash contact or message us on Facebook at Maranatha Full Gospel Fellowship. We pray you are blessed by the message and have a wonderful week.